Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline.ag is back and better than ever for the 2021 football season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. Double your initial deposit just for signing up today. Use the promo code NFL100 at checkout. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike, You know what that music means. It's time for another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 87 here on the Take It Easy podcast. Welcome in everybody. Happy Sunday or Monday, however and whenever it is that you are stopping in. We have a fantastic show for you to kick off the NFL weekend, or I guess the NFL Sunday, or Monday, or however and whenever it is you're stopping in. We've got some college football to talk about because Clemson has fallen off the face of the earth right now. Uh, we're also going to talk about this weird situation going on at Oklahoma, which kind of you know seconds what's going on with Clemson. And we're going to talk about Arkansas, who's going to womp everybody all the way into the top 10 this week. But first, we've got an A block story that would normally be like a B block because it's our longest story of the day, but it's where I want to start off here on Wired Up, which has slowly become a podcast where I have lots of time to talk about fun stuff. And we start with Ben Simmons, the disgruntled point guard of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, If disgruntled could be an understatement because... Every few months in the NBA, going back to 2016, let's say, for about the past five to six years in the post-player empowerment era of LeBron James and the idea that you don't have to stay in the same place for your entire career, LeBron James made it easy for everyone else to switch teams and play for four or five different teams throughout their career, even two different teams, because sometimes... You go to greener pastures and you end up falling in love with that place. But at least you get the chance to try different places. And so in the post-labor empowerment, which is also player empowerment is the branding, but I like to call it labor empowerment. Um, In that post-LeBron James world and post-Kevin Durant world in 2016, where Kevin Durant took what LeBron did and just turned the heat up to, you know, about 110 in the hot tub. Not sure why I used a hot tub metaphor, but I think it works in this context. But since Kevin Durant, it's been a pretty constant stream of disgruntled stars. And you can kind of go down the list of like time periods where it starts off with Paul George, uh, Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving ends up happening after the 2017 offseason of Paul George and Chris Paul, where Kyrie kind of dominates the news into the summer. 
makes basketball the quote-unquote year-round sport that the NFL and MLB try to copy, uh, unsuccessfully, might I add, but certainly they try to make their sport a year-round endeavor with the transaction because people love the transaction as much as the sports themselves in a lot of these cases because there's you know we we talk about this a lot on DSD like there's just so much intrigue around the transactions and it can create so much content that some people like that more than the aspects of regular season games etc etc but you go from Kyrie Irving to 2018 where you have the Russell Westbrook drama in Oklahoma City you have Obviously, the LeBron James leaving Cleveland situation, which bleeds into Anthony Davis at the start of 2019, which ends up dominating the news stream into that offseason when Anthony Davis does get traded. Kevin Durant leaves. Kawhi Leonard leaves. Um, We had Kyrie Irving leaving again. Uh, Russell Westbrook ends up getting traded, bleeds into 2020. Um, which, of course, Giannis was the one who was kind of dominating the headlines for a while there. And then the pandemic happens, and then it's James Harden. And we've had a pretty constant stream all the way up until now. And the next star in this equation appears to be Ben Simmons, who is really getting ready to like blow up a powerhouse in the Eastern Conference. Now, I don't know if they're better than the Bucks or the Nets. But the thing we've talked about before is in the Giannis generation, which is loosely players entering their primes uh, right about now between 27 and 31, which means they were drafted sometime between 2012 and 2016-17, just because that's when they're entering their physical primes. In the Giannis generation, Joel Embiid might be the second best player in that generation. Like, it's him, Jokic, Anthony Davis. You could make an argument for any one of those three being better. And honestly, I think Joel Embiid's skill set, like Anthony Davis, is so unique that he could possibly be ahead of both of those. And the fact that you just have Joel Embiid on your team instantly makes you a dominant power or at least a force to be reckoned with in the NBA because there's only about six to seven players as good as Joel Embiid. And so every now and then one of those players becomes available. You know, 2019, we had Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard become available. Last year, it was James Harden. And so now um, Joel Embiid is not available, but his best teammate is, and really his only other all-star teammate And there's only so far that just Joel Embiid can get you. We saw actually in 2019, LeBron James missed the playoffs. And then last year without Anthony Davis, they lost in the first round of the playoffs. So even someone like LeBron James, who is not the same player he once was, of course, but even to a certain extent, there's only so much that that can get you to. And so the Sixers may have to sell for pennies on the dollar around Ben Simmons now because they were trying to shop Ben Simmons throughout the offseason and the fact that Damian Lillard wasn't ready to blow everything up in Portland or that Portland wasn't ready to blow up everything in Portland made it so the 76ers were caught in limbo and so they decided that they were either going to try and swindle a team out of picks that they could then use to acquire a superstar down the road like what they did with the Warriors where they tried to acquire Andrew Wiggins, James Wiseman, and 
four first round picks going into last year's draft and the Warriors told them to pound sand. And so the 76ers were just going to sit and wait maybe for a Damian Lillard to become available or a player better than Ben Simmons. And it just happened to be a time in the NBA where there was no player better than Ben Simmons available for acquisition. They had the opportunity with James Harden less than a year ago now. That was about December of 2020, early 2021. And they didn't get James Harden. And so they found themselves sitting there waiting to see how this would play out with Damian Lillard. They end up getting screwed a bit. And they were willing to bank on Ben Simmons' feelings. And of course, all of this is added into the fact that our lasting memory of Ben Simmons is him passing up a ball in the finals, or in the, the second round, game seven, and him having zero points in the fourth quarter of games four, five, six, and seven in a series that the Philadelphia 76ers blew a 25-point fourth quarter lead and a 17-point fourth quarter lead which if they win those two games according to win probabilities on ESPN, they had a 1 in 778 chance of not winning both of those games and therefore not advancing in the series. We'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to mention it on the front end, of course, because this is the context behind what is going on with Ben Simmons. The report this last week that we kind of glossed over in a, in the midst of our NFL drama on the podcast side, we did a YouTube uh, video with the Slump Buster. You can check that out at Slump Buster Podcast on YouTube if you want some more Ben Simmons conversation. But here on the podcast, we didn't really dive into that story. And it was on Saturday when there was a super interesting development in the Ben Simmons story that really made me feel like, okay, we need to collect everything together on this wired up on a preview to a football Sunday on a day where Clemson loses and basically gets knocked out of the college football playoff on this day we really do need to talk about Ben Simmons because there's so much intrigue going on with the Ben Simmons situation and the story that dropped on Saturday that I wanted to touch on first before talking about Simmons as a value piece or as a star or anything else is the fact that Ben Simmons earlier in the week, decided that he was not going to report to 76ers camp. And this was getting aggregated and talked about, like on the Slump Buster. This dropped on Tuesday, I think. Saturday, we get word that the 76ers as a team, or at least key pieces on the team, which the funny that I found in that is like, does Shake Milton count as a key piece of the team? Does he get to be in the core? Does Matisse Thibel get added who's the person in the group chat who's like the last man out in terms of the team going to visit Ben Simmons but key members of the 76ers were going to Los Angeles to meet with Ben Simmons and try and talk it out with him about coming back to the team and Ben Simmons told them do not come to Los Angeles and they canceled their flight which only can mean or reinforce the belief that he, we had or I had before. Ben Simmons does not want to face his teammates. We had a feeling he didn't want to face Philadelphia. We had a feeling he didn't want to face Doc Rivers. Ben Simmons does not want to face his teammates. And there are two overwhelming reasons I think of 
as to why Ben Simmons wouldn't want to face his teammates. One is probably the more cynical version, which is Ben Simmons knows he probably cost them in the playoffs, and knowing that he failed the team in a series they played better than the Hawks, they were better than the Hawks on paper, and should have won the series with about 99.84% probability, if not for those two fourth quarter collapses in which Ben Simmons did not take a single shot. Ben Simmons does not want to face his teammates because he cost them in the playoffs last year. But the second option is that Ben Simmons is not in a place emotionally where he wants to forgive his teammates for not having his back at the end of the playoffs last year. And I think this was always going to be the case with Doc Rivers because we had heard rumblings throughout the offseason that Ben Simmons was really unhappy with Doc Rivers. But... The fact that he wouldn't want to face the teammates could mean that he is upset with them as well to the point where he would rather leave than work to mend the relationship. For whatever the anxieties and mental blockades or whatever else is going on in Ben Simmons' head that I don't think any of us could possibly understand... And it's probably super complex and hard to figure out anyway, something we can't really do on a 30-minute podcast if we really wanted to. But for whatever is going on in Ben Simmons' head, it seems really clear with this report, if it wasn't already, it seems like very clear that Ben Simmons is not in a place where he wants to face his teammates. And he would rather hang out in Los Angeles until his trade demands are met by the 76ers who will not meet those demands probably until a better player than Ben Simmons becomes available. But at a certain point, if it threatens to blow up everything the Sixers are doing because you go into camp and saying, you know, what's up with Ben Simmons? What's up with Ben Simmons? Reporters are going to ask Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons. Are you bad teammates? Why do you guys alienate Ben? What's Ben's problem? What's the deal? Why is Ben Simmons soft? All that stuff that's going to come up around the 76ers and make this team a total shit show going into next year. If that threatens to blow everything up, then Philadelphia might have to just cut their losses and just get less for Ben Simmons. And I don't think that's a situation the Sixers want to do, given that they were waiting, 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 trying to trade Ben Simmons all offseason, but not getting an offer that they knew would not be pennies on the dollar. Because Ben Simmons is a type of star that you use to acquire a player better than Ben Simmons. If you feel like you can build a championship caliber team and you want to put a second star type player next to Joel Embiid, then Ben Simmons is probably the third best player on said championship team. And if you can't get a player between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, maybe you get a player as good as Joel Embiid, like Damian Lillard, like James Harden. Those are the type of moves that you use a Ben Simmons type player for. Or maybe Ben Simmons is the number one on a team that gets bounced in the first round. Because Ben Simmons is a perennial all-star, and teams with perennial all-stars usually get into the playoffs. So maybe that's where Ben Simmons sits as a number one or maybe a number three or something like that. But Ben Simmons is really a player that's, you know, the third best player on a championship team, but the first best player on a team that gets bounced in the playoffs. And the thing that's also been weird is that Ben Simmons is young, 
but Ben Simmons hasn't made significant improvements across the last few years. He's kind of been a fully formed player. And if this is a fully formed version of Ben Simmons, well, then that's a very good player. That's a player that we talk a lot about when they become available. A balance of power potential type of shift in the NBA. Now, not to the level of Kawhi Leonard going to the Clippers with Paul George, but like the Paul George move, similar type of player to Paul George, is that his shifting teams can affect the balance of power in the NBA. If he were to end up on the Warriors, I think that makes a huge difference in the balance of power of the NBA. And everything is so complex at this point because I don't think the Sixers are going to trade him, but at a certain point, when do the Sixers look up like the Rockets did last year and say, okay, we can't hold out anymore. This situation has become untenable. We're just going to have to take the best deal on the table, even if it's pennies on the dollar. And I don't know what that's going to be. I could see Ben Simmons sitting out longer than any of these situations we've seen before. We saw James Harden sit out for, you know, about two months. He came back to play like a few games after going to, what was it, Vegas with a little baby and having to go into the COVID protocols. It was that moment that the, the Rockets looked up and said, okay, P.J. Tucker's about to go fight James Harden. We're going to have to trade him now because this situation feels almost untenable. I think Ben Simmons could wait it out even longer because Ben Simmons has the leverage of waiting Every wait, the, the, Ben Simmons has the leverage of waiting it out and his value is not going to go down. Ben Simmons is so young and his value is already probably as low as it's ever going to get where the Sixers just have to hold out and hope that that deal becomes available. Maybe it's that, you know, deal you can't refuse for all the picks and maybe you just wait, you know, down the road for Damian Lillard to become available and you throw eight first-round picks at the Portland Trailblazers and, like, throw James Wiseman and eight firsts at Portland. But even then, the 76ers are working with a really bad situation where you cannot mess up this Ben Simmons trade. And ideally, they recognize that. Like, they recognize that we cannot sell Ben Simmons for anything less than a player of Ben Simmons-type caliber or, at the very least, a player who represents a chance to in the future have Ben Simmons type of production, which I think is why if the Sacramento Kings would put De'Aaron Fox in a deal, Sacramento would actually make, or Philadelphia would actually make that move. And so now this just becomes a game of how long are the 76ers willing to wait this out? Because Ben Simmons, for all of his credit there, doesn't really have leverage in this situation. You know, he's under team control for multiple years, he is still in his mid-20s, so there is value there, but also the 76ers aren't desperate. They can live without Ben Simmons. They're not going to survive without Ben Simmons. Because think about it this way. If you make Tobias Harris the second best player on a team with Joel Embiid as their number one star, that puts you similarly to where the Denver Nuggets were last year with Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. and a bunch of shitty guards. 
And that team made it to the second round in the Western Conference playoffs. Now, they got pummeled by the Phoenix Suns, and to be honest, they were playing a team similarly constructed like the Trailblazers, where it was just the Damian Lillard show, and then you had a McCollum or a disappointing Robert Covington or a Nurkic, whatever it was. Like, they happened to match up with a team that was similar to them. So the Sixers in the Eastern Conference, with just, just by virtue of having Joel Embiid, automatically a top five team in the Eastern Conference. So the 76ers without Ben Simmons are not desperate because adding Ben Simmons and subtracting Ben Simmons is the difference between losing in seven games versus losing in four games against either Milwaukee or Brooklyn. So the Sixers can wait this thing out, and I'm not saying they're going to wait all the way till the playoffs. I don't think that the situation would remain tenable. I think Rich Paul... And Ben Simmons would do something to make it ugly. Because I think at this point, Ben Simmons seems intent to make it ugly. By the f- And this is something we talk about a lot where the leverage that players have when they don't have leverage is the risk of making it ugly. And we talked about this with James Harden. James Harden was 100% willing to make things ugly in Houston. Deshaun Watson, prior to his sexual harassment scandals well no not scandals sexual harassment allegations and crimes being brought on him was willing to make things ugly with the Houston Texans and not talk to the organization and publicly make statements against the organization Russell Wilson not willing to make things ugly in Seattle he folded as soon as the opportunity presented himself to push back against the Seahawks Aaron Rodgers We weren't quite sure whether Aaron Rodgers was willing to make it ugly. Aaron Rodgers was willing to compromise in the end is what it appeared. And we'll see if the Packers honor that compromise because Rodgers didn't really have a ton of leverage. And so Ben Simmons' leverage is making things ugly and uncomfy for the 76ers to pressure them into making a trade. And I think because the 76ers aren't desperate, it's going to take a lot of uncomfy And probably do a lot of damage to Ben Simmons' reputation, which, you know, for fair or not, I think people don't recognize that a lot of this stuff is strategic. Like James Harden, you know, looking overweight or partying in Vegas or, you know, showing up to training camp and doing strategic interviews. Like, more of this is planned out than I think we want to give credit to. Because if you make things ugly, all of a sudden you can have a leverage situation. There's just so much riding on it that, you know, reckless type moves probably happen, but just not as much as we like to think they are. Like, oh my gosh, can you believe James Harden got caught partying in Vegas with Lil Baby? Like, okay. And even if the situation presents itself, you can spin it to be a victory. But that's a whole nother thing. To to the point with Ben Simmons is that, Ben Simmons is going to have to take a reputation hit from people who probably don't know Ben Simmons. And part of that is Twitter, part of that is NBA analysts, part of that is journalists, or opinion columnists. I guess those are forms of journalism, but it's not really fact-based journalism. But people who Ben Simmons does not know are going to work to ruin his reputation if he's willing to make this ugly, which I think he's already taken the steps there. The fact he won't report to training camp, the fact he told the 76ers to go back on the plane, but this one doesn't necessarily feel like defiance. Like for James Harden, this was this felt more like this team is no longer intent on winning, therefore I would not like to spend the remainder of my prime here. 
This one for Ben, this situation with Ben Simmons feels less about defiance and more about anxieties and fears. This one feels more like Ben Simmons being uncomfortable with the situation and damaged by the situation with the organization. And I think for fair or for not, I think Doc Rivers did a lot of damage by, I mean, I mean, Doc Rivers says that it's been a little bit since he talked to Ben Simmons, but those post-game press conferences after Game 7 getting aggregated where he said Ben Simmons couldn't be the best player on the championship team or Joel Embiid throwing him under the bus at the end of that Game 7. Embiid's quote actually was, I found it again, because I, I, I remember the Doc Rivers one, but I kind of forgot Embiid. Embiid's was, quote, I'll be honest, I thought the turning point was when we, I don't know how to say it, is when we had an open shot and made one free throw. And I don't know if Joel Embiid had to work out that relationship with Ben Simmons, but ultimately Joel Embiid just signed a four-year extension with the 76ers, and he was the clearly 1A alpha. I mean, he is, like we said off the top, maybe the second best player of the Giannis generation. Like, it could be Anthony Davis, could be Jokic, and Jokic has an MVP at this point. And it still could be Joel Embiid. And so, Joel Embiid was always going to be the 76ers building block. This was all about how do we build a team that could potentially make Joel Embiid the best player on a championship team, which is doable. You just have to put the best of circumstances around him. In a lot of ways, he is what James Harden was to the previous generation, is that they almost put perfect pieces around James Harden to win, and if not for an 0-for-27 stretch against the Warriors, James Harden would have been the best player on a championship team with the Houston Rockets. So I think Joel Embiid is in that similar type position where under great circumstances, he can be the best player on a championship team, and these are not great circumstances the Sixers have built out. But the Sixers are certainly going to keep trying. But the problem is if you continue to get pennies on the dollar in move after move after move, eventually you just have less to work with than you did originally. At a certain point, the cupboard has run bare. The window has closed. You've run out of assets. And so the way to reset is by trading that top player. It could happen to Giannis down the road. They've got one all-in move left, which is trading Middleton or Drew Holiday. Um, they, it's going to be hard to do both considering they're just kind of, you know, their assets are hanging around a little bit for Milwaukee. They've got like one all in move left to try and keep a sustainable winner because even as great as Giannis is Giannis by himself can only go so far. It can probably go slightly farther than Joel Embiid by himself, but the bucks are really running out of assets to work with because they would get, you know, pennies on the dollar in certain trades like Drew Holiday, great pickup, helped win a championship. They also gave up all of their future draft picks to acquire him. And then they traded for PJ Tucker and gave up DJ Wilson and a first round pick, which also drains the cupboard bare a bit. So you've used all your draft picks now for the future. Um, you've used all your available cap space by signing Chris Middleton, Andrew Holiday, and Giannis to about a hundred. $10 million worth of contracts, which again, they had to do because the alternative was to let Chris Middleton walk in free agency, which they can't just let a player that good walk in free agency. They're the Milwaukee Bucks. And so Philadelphia is in a similar position where they need to find a way to replenish the cupboard and they're running out of hits at the board and they know how valuable that Ben Simmons chip is 
And so I think they're going to hang on to it until they can get an offer better than Ben Simmons or for a player better than Ben Simmons. I don't even know where the bar is on that because I don't know how good of a player Ben Simmons is. Like De'Aaron Fox, does that qualify as a player better than Ben Simmons? Probably not right now, but I think they look at that and say there's potential there. D'Angelo Russell with the Timberwolves who just fired their president of basketball ops for having an affair within the organization. No, D'Angelo Russell's never going to be Ben Simmons. Not an indictment of D'Angelo Russell. He's just never going to be a Ben Simmons. So they're going to look around for something better than that. Um, Colin Sexton in Cleveland, probably never going to be a Ben Simmons. It's a high bar to hit to be a Ben Simmons. Can be a very good player, but trading Ben Simmons for Colin Sexton and Isaac Okoro and whatever else they do to match salaries would be getting pennies on the dollar. And you look around at all these options. Brandon Ingram in with the Pelicans. That would probably be close, but still pennies on the dollar move. There's not a lot of options for the Sixers at this point, and maybe at a certain point they just accept the pennies on the dollar offer because teams know the Sixers are going to get desperate if Ben Simmons is willing to make things ugly. I'm interested to see how ugly Simmons is willing to make it, how much he's willing to tank the reputation, and how much he's willing to let his anxieties and fears dictate decision making it's really interesting to see how it goes and by the way it's totally valid for ben simmons to to feel that way if ben simmons feels that this is the best course of action for ben simmons given the information that he is at right now who the bleep am i to tell someone that their emotions are less valid or invalid or he should just you know suit up and play if this is how ben simmons feels i trust that ben simmons is making the best decision given the circumstances he's at. And he has some kind of a support system from Rich Paul. Again, I don't know how deep that support system is or how deep that relationship is between him and Rich Paul, but Rich Paul's going to at least look out for Ben Simmons' interests over the next few months. And if Ben Simmons is willing to you know, do the dirty work to make sure he doesn't play for the 76ers again, then by all means, Ben Simmons is going to go ahead and do it and make things really, really interesting for the Philadelphia 76ers and for the NBA at large because Ben Simmons right now is the biggest name available in the sport and will probably be the biggest name available in the sport across the next calendar year. Alrighty, let's talk about Clemson. Because the Clemson Tigers are some losers in college football this weekend. And we've already done the podcast talking about Clemson losing. They lost to Georgia in really bad fashion a couple weeks ago. You can check out that podcast on the uh, OG Wired Up. I think it was Wired Up 84, maybe? 84, 85, one of those two in there was uh, Clemson losing to Georgia. But when they lost the first time... I had said that DJ Oyungalale, the quarterback for Clemson, would iron out the details against the NC States of the world. I think I mentioned the Boston Colleges, which is now the 4-0 Boston College Golden e Well, not Golden Eagles. I guess they're just Eagles. Um, Marquette would be the Golden Eagles. Um, shout out to Walter Mitchell, by the way. His BC Eagles are... 4-0 now on the season. Them and Wake Forest, the only unbeatens left in the ACC, and uh, they meet the last week of the season. So at this point, there is a non-zero chance 
that we get a an 11 and 0 Boston College traveling to 11 and 0 Wake Forest for the right to make the college football playoff out of the ACC. But Clemson did lose to North Carolina State in double overtime today. It was an unranked NC State team. It's their first win against a top 10 team since 2012 which was weird because I thought NC State had some of those upsets in there against like Florida State and Clemson, but still NC State, not the ACC Coastal, this is the ACC Atlantic, so NC State doesn't get to ruin someone's year who's in the top 10, other than maybe North Carolina, but they didn't do that last year when North Carolina was good, but still NC State beat Clemson. Clemson now has two losses on the season, a loss to Georgia, a loss to NC State. I think even if they were to win out the rest of the way and win the ACC title, I think it would be a long shot that they make the playoff considering Bama's going to be number one, Georgia's going to be right there as long as Georgia you know, goes one loss, doesn't have a conference championship, Georgia's going to be right there. Um <laughs> the Wampin Arkansas Razorbacks are going to be there. I'm joking, but Arkansas is going to be right there. Uh, and then they're going to be joined by either Boston College or Wake Forest, whoever finishes 12-0 and and wins the ACC Atlantic. But still, Boston College, Clemson, Wake Forest. I think Boston College plays Clemson next week, so please, please let Boston College win against Clemson so that we can just laugh at that on memes of the weekend. But in all seriousness, well, I guess half seriousness, nothing is all seriousness here on the Take It Easy podcast, but Bama, Georgia is going to be right there. Ohio State's going to be in as long as they win out. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma is not looking great either. So maybe there's a way to sneak in there. Maybe someone else will will climb the ranks like a, a putrid Iowa team or something upsets Ohio State. Who knows? We could have a weird time. Oregon's technically number three in the country right now, but... Pac-12, you know how that rolls. Maybe Oregon gets in, but Clemson is a total long shot at this point to make the college football playoff, even with two losses in a conference title. Um, it's still not great, especially considering they should have lost to Georgia Tech last week. And I don't know if this is a transition period or a transition out of power for Clemson. I think time will tell with that and make it easier. If I had to guess right now, I would just play it safe and say this is a transition year for Clemson, but historical precedent now says that this is kind of how dynasties fade is coaches not being able to recruit at the same level they did before maybe getting a couple lucky prospects here and there and losing games like this ends up detracting from recruiting for potentially even two years considering how the struggle has gone to start the year for Clemson and so This is one of those crossroads moments for the program where they're going to miss the playoff for the first time in five years. As one of these like three or so dominant powers in college football, they no longer are going to be, um, at at least for this year. And so this is a really, really difficult situation for Clemson because you might be the seventh, eighth, ninth best program in college football for the next couple years if this is a transition time. And fortunately, the ACC is so shit that they will probably still be okay in terms of winning that division this year and maybe winning the conference title again. But this is the year where the transition starts to begin. And Clemson has enjoyed like six years of success. The team that's gotten closest to what Alabama has had across the last 10 years, the team that's beaten Alabama in the championship twice, 
They've got the two national championships in the last decade. They've made the playoffs for five, six years straight. They've had a bunch of like rough losses in the playoffs too, like blown out by Bama in 2015, blown out by LSU in 2019, blown out in 2020 by Ohio State. So like they've had some brutal losses in the playoff and it's really hard when you are not the mountaintop like Alabama is just a wagon where you know they are a factory of getting players to the NFL every week they step on the field they are bigger stronger faster than everyone else and so maybe this is where Clemson starts to fade I again I'm gonna fence sit this one unfortunately I'm gonna apply tons of nuance in my Max Kellerman style broadcasting work I'm gonna sit the fence on this one and say I won't know for about 12 more months whether or not this is a step for Clemson towards, you know, not being a top three program anymore and someone else can assume the mantle with more resources than Clemson, more recent success than Clemson. Who knows which program that will be? Maybe it's Oklahoma, which again, woof, West Virginia, woof. And whatever ends up becoming for Clemson, we won't know for an extended period of time. And I hate to fence sit on this one, but I think this is just a wait and see approach because the fact they lost, should have lost at home to Georgia Tech and then do lose on the road to NC State coming off of a three-point drubbing by Georgia really makes me look up and say, this doesn't happen to elite programs, not three weeks in a row or three and four. I think they played one of those terrible FCS teams in there, but three real games in a row. This does not happen. It maybe happens to an Oklahoma. It maybe happens to a Penn State. It doesn't happen to an Alabama or an Ohio State. And so I'm just going to fence sit on this one and say, we're going to have to wait and see what this ends up becoming for Clemson. Because this week right now is an inflection point for that program that has seen five, six years of success and being the closest thing to Alabama, but also wasn't there before and doesn't have the same resources as an Alabama, an Ohio State, an Oklahoma. Clemson is 20th in the NCAA in athletic budget. They are behind Florida State. They are behind Auburn. They're behind Iowa. And they are behind... Those wampin' Razorbacks of Arkansas because the Arkansas Razorbacks got that SEC money. And I was watching part of that Texas A&M and Arkansas game this week. This is a seamless transition, by the way. But I was watching part of that game this week. And uh, Arkansas, who's going to come in and womp you with a defensive tackle who's six foot five, 340 pounds. Shout out to Spencer Hall of the Shutdown Full Cast because I love this Arkansas Wampin team so much. What are we going to do? We're going to womp you. Sam Pittman's our coach, and Sam Pittman's from Oklahoma, but Sam Pittman, Google Sam Pittman for anyone who's watching right now. That man looks like Arkansas football. The way Ed Orgeron sounds like LSU football 
Sam Pittman looks like Arkansas football. And you know what he did? He got a quarterback that was extra large. He got a running back that's 250 pounds, and he got a defensive tackle that's 340. Again, if you want to buy merch for this, check out Spencer Hall and the Shutdown Full Cast because they have done so much fun content with this Arkansas team over the past couple weeks. And now Arkansas gets to be in the top 10 for the first time since I was five years old in 2006 when Darren McFadden was ranked number five in the country for Arkansas. And the Razorbacks are finally back in the top 10. By the way, Texas A&M, we're going to talk about you on Memes of the Weekend, but I would just like to say, if you become the team that loses to Arkansas and Ole Miss and exists to finish fourth in the SEC West, I'm going to laugh so hard at you. So hard. It's not even going to be funny how much... I'm laughing at you because I had said for so long, Texas A&M, you exist to go eight and four, lose to Auburn, LSU, and Bama. And guess what? LSU and Auburn, their programs suck now. They're terrible. They're rebuilding. By default, you got to be second in the SEC. And if in just one year's time and one maybe playoff run, you go from being two in the conference back to being four, and let Ole Miss and Arkansas jump you, oh, good Lord, you will never hear the end of this considering how much money you're paying Jimbo Fisher. So beware, Texas A&M. You must now beat Ole Miss under all circumstances and maybe cover the spread against Bama because that's the best you can hope for at this point. While Arkansas just keeps going on and whomping people. We're going to whomp them. Arkansas plays who next? When do they play Bama, huh? When do when does Arkansas football play Bama? By the way, shout out to our friend uh, uh, Pfeiffer Football, Tanner Pfeiffer. Uh, he is uh, he is from uh, was it Fayetteville, Arkansas? I think is where the University of Arkansas is. He's from there. He was uh, uh, working the game when Arkansas was playing Texas. He lives there, basically across the street from the university. That was enough time to fill to say that. Arkansas plays Georgia next week. Top 10 game. That's going to be a whomper. That's going to be a whomper of the week. And you already know I'm all in on Arkansas. And then they play Mississippi and Auburn. And then eventually, way down the road in November, they finally get to Alabama. So the the whomping run might be over by the time they get to play Bama. Might end next week with Georgia. Or maybe just maybe Arkansas is going to make it into the college football playoff with Alabama and Wake Forest and Boston College and maybe Iowa because this college football season makes absolutely no sense at all. West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountain, Shenandoah River, life is older. Older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home. Country roads. You know, West Virginia didn't actually win against Oklahoma, but they gave it a valiant effort this week. So I felt 
The only time that we can use that song is when things happen to West Virginia football, and West Virginia football is pretty damn irrelevant, but it's a pretty good song. So shout out to John Denver and uh, his country roads that will take him home to the place where he belongs, West Virginia, who only lost by three points to the University of Oklahoma. So we have our NFL picks to close out wired up as we normally do. Some of these I've, I've trickled in throughout already here. So uh, some of them you may already know. Of course, I picked the Panthers to win on Thursday. So that's a 1-0 start to my week. Already feeling myself there a little. And uh, for the rest of the games this week, I've got a, a couple on my mind where I'm going to take and lock in the Los Angeles Rams at a pick'em against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Doon doon, lock it in this week. I am on that Los Angeles Rams bandwagon. Um, the Bucks got to lose at some point. This feels like a good situation for that to happen, especially considering that Tom Brady is going up against the best defense that he has faced all season. In fact, he's going from playing two of the worst defenses in the league in Atlanta and Dallas to playing one of the best defenses in the league in the Los Angeles Rams. So I like the Rams to win, be able to put up points at the same rate as the Bucs. Um, the Bucs are clearly flawed, as we've started to see. No Sean Murphy bunting this week again. He'll be back sometime soon, I think. Um, but Tampa Bay is going to fall to the Rams. This is probably going to be the game of the week, and you know, with a lot of expectations that this is the first game we'll talk about next week or I guess tomorrow not next week that we'll talk about tomorrow when we go through our games of the week so I will pick the Rams there I will also lock in the Seattle Seahawks at one and a half against the Minnesota Vikings playing at Minnesota um Minnesota has no secondary. The Seahawks have two really good receivers. Uh, Minnesota should be one and one. Seahawks should be one and one. Seahawks are a better team than the Vikings. This feels like one of those ways that the schedule evens out. So I think Seattle's going to win this one with scoring a lot of points. And Minnesota might also score a lot of points, not because Seattle's defense is not great at stopping the pass. It's, you know, about average. But Minnesota can put up points in a hurry, as we've seen in the first two weeks for them. Their offense is very high-powered, and I like what Clint Kubiak is continuing from his father uh, in Minnesota. Obviously, they've got tons of talent all across the board on offense and almost no talent on defense. So that seems to be the game plan for Minnesota. High scoring, try and beat the Seahawks that way. I like Seattle to win this game. It's basically a pick em. It's two points, but I like Seattle. I think they're going to be discounted a good ways throughout the season, especially after that loss to the Titans. Um, I also have the Packers at plus three against the 49ers, which this one is going with the public. I was kind of surprised by this because 82% of the money going into the game is on the Packers money line. And the Packers are underdogs, so you would expect the 49ers to be slight favorites. That means Vegas is rolling with the 49ers at minus three against the Packers this week. Um, I, I understand the 49ers defense is obviously nightmare matchup for the Packers in the past. And I fell into this trap by picking the Packers in that NFC championship against the 49ers a couple of years ago. Maybe there's something I can't see at this point, or maybe I'm just Packer blind because of how good I think that offense actually is, But and the fact Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback of the 49ers. But 
I will take the Green Bay Packers at plus three and roll with the public. And finally, I like the Colts plus five and a half against the Titans. I'm rolling with the house on this one. The house is taking heavy money on the Titans. Uh, I will take the Colts. Carson Wentz is going to play despite having two sprained ankles, which I don't feel like we made enough fun content out of two sprained ankles this past week. But yes, Carson Wentz does have two sprained ankles. Yes, he's going to play. And I think I'm still going to sit Michael Pittman on my bench this week in fantasy in favor of Marquise Hollywood Brown. But if anyone's got any suggestions, leave them in the comments of the uh, Apple podcast, but I don't know if I'll see it quickly enough to actually have it affect my lineup. But tell me in the comments who you would, uh, who you'd take. Would you take Michael Pittman or would you take Hollywood Brown as your starter this week? And I know if you did make this comment, you really listened through this podcast. So appreciate all of you tuning in, preferably on a Sunday morning. I mean, a lot of this information will be null and void by the time we get to Monday especially with the Bucks rams stuff. Bucks rams is going to be something we're going to have a lot to talk about, I have a feeling, come Monday. But I can't talk about it now because I haven't watched the game. So, All right, let's close out the podcast with our final five picks in the Take It Easy Pick'em Pool, courtesy of our man Cam over at DSD. Check out me and him on the DSD pod every Monday and Friday as well. Uh, I love that doing that podcast with him. Our conversations are fantastic. There's definitely a chemistry there. So with that being said, here are Cam's picks for the week. What did I do last week? Uh, last week you were 3-1-1. One, and one, So you are sitting in first place Dude, I- at 6-3-1 and one right now. Bro, I'm cooking right, right now. No, you were, you were the and- only person above 500. I hit the Panthers yesterday, so now I'm 6-5. and five, But And, and I... I- I f- I truly feel like I should have covered that. Um, I should have covered that. Uh, 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 Falcons game. Yeah, you were right there. That was your only loss of the week. Was the two Matt Ryan pick sixes where he's just sprawling on his yeah, back. Yeah, like like exactly. Just don't throw a pick six, you freaking gutless look, coward. I, look, <laughs> I told you this before. Don't ever bet the Falcons. Don't ever bet the Lions. Although we do have a rule I here: know. is that if you want to change your game, if you want to pick a different game. You can do it, but you have to pick a Lions or Falcons game. That's our rule. Fair. Is that you don't actually I feel like I've taken have I taken the Falcons both dude, I've taken the Falcons two times. Yeah. And I've lost both times. I think that is true. Yes, you are correct. So I won't make you pick I took that the game. Eagles and the Falcons. Oh my god, dude. I, I'm you know what? I'm gonna keep taking the Falcons until All right. uh, well, until they uh, cover. Falcons are at the Giants this week. Giants are three point favorites. Falcons. <laughs> yes, you will you will soon learn, my friend, that you it never works. <laughs> Trust me, it never works. Um, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, yeah, that's damn the Falcons. You have are so three bad. losses yeah, on the, the season, and two of them are the Falcons. <laughs> I'm riding with my team. I'm riding with my team, don't, boy. Don't. I've learned this lesson many a times before. It's not good to bet the Falcons. So, we also have. Uh, the Bears taking on the Browns. Browns are seven and a half point favorites against Chicago. Um, can you say that one more time? Sorry, uh, I'm, I'm just I, Bears I'm, at Browns. Browns seven and a half point favorites. Um, oh, I hate the seven and a half. Yeah, the half always gets you. Um, Browns. I mean. Rookie quarterback, Browns. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat as you on that one. So, 
just be be smart about it don't need to be a hero on that one so yeah i know i almost went for it i dude i i saw the amount of people i saw last night that went for the texans last night like what the hell is wrong with they you? almost got like, it like it was a, it was if you had eight and a half they were covering until the very end yeah, it's true, but like the the but the Panthers like barfed on themselves. They should have won that game like 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 by a million. They they won forward on a fourth and one, like which whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> You're like, nope. I'm I'm gonna save my energy at this point. So uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm gonna pretend like I don't care. Here's your boys. The Saints take on the Patriots. Patriots are a field goal favorite at home. Favorite? Yeah, Patriots are a field goal favorite against the Saints. Wow. Um, I'll take the Pats. Yeah, I had a feeling you would take the Pats. I actually already wrote it down on the board that you would take the Patriots. <laughs> I just, I just don't. I don't know. Just something about the Saints defense. It just doesn't give me any type of. And and then and then Jameis Winston just gonna completely uke on himself against the Patriots. Packers at Forty ers Forty ers are three point favorites at home against Green Bay. Oh, that's a good game. Yeah, it's Sunday Night Football. Um. Oh, nice. Oh, I'm pumped. I love that. Um, three and a half, you said? Just three. three. Oh, man. That's a tough game, dude. Uh, you know. You can take um, Ravens and Lions if you want. <laughs> is that Monday? Ravens and Lions or the Packers 49ers? 49ers is Sunday night football. No, no, sorry. The Ravens. No, that's like a that, ten oh, o'clock game. game. It's like a ten o'clock game. <clears throat> oh, ten o'clock. That's so sick that you get a ten o'clock game. Oh my god, it's one o'clock yeah. here. Ten o'clock would be my freaking dream. And then the London games um, are at six thirty. Yeah, that's that's a force though. It's nine a.m. here. It's dope. Uh okay. So yeah, what's the Lions Ravens? Uh, Ravens are nine and a half against the Lions. Jeez. Yeah. No, I'm gonna take. Uh, so, um, really quick, just off the top of your head, is um, the 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 49ers have a bunch of injuries now, don't they? Uh, Dre Greenlaw's out. I know that. Verrett's gone. All right, I'm gonna take the secondary. I'm gonna take the Packers. Yeah, they're I'm taking the Packers. Basically, just their entire secondary is gone for the 49ers. And like and running backs, which is, isn't doesn't yeah. Really matter, you can go guess, sign but. a Duke Johnson, I guess, at some point. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah they picked someone some other guy up, but finally we have the Eagles and the Cowboys. Cowboys are three and a half point favorites. This is Monday. I'm gonna keep rolling. I'm keep rolling against the Eagles. They suck, dude. But they just keep like sticking around. I'm going with the up with the boys. Yeah, I think you I, the boys. I think you picked the Niners last week and they like barely covered. So, oh yeah, yeah that that was a miracle. Yeah, they like barely covered that one. So. He's got the Browns, the Falcons, the Packers, the Patriots, and the Cowboys this week to try and stay in first place. Let's go, Falcons. Yeah, you you will be bitterly disappointed. Again, the franchise should just disband <laughs> and no longer exist. <laughs> All righty. See y'all. Bye.